0: Hello and welcome to insert your own episode number here of the Decade Podcast, the podcast that takes an in-depth look into the 2021 project started by comedian Mark Watson. I'm your host Chris Jack. I'm a little bit like Mark, except there's no way I could throw a mink club onto the roof of a building. Have you seen my arms? No upper body strength. I could possibly do a raisin and biscuit one just because there's more weight behind it. And of course, they are the best flavour. Don't at me, they definitely are. Sure, I'll eat an orange club from time to time but I'll be thinking of the Raisin and Biscuit one. Today's episode we talk to Petra who joins us all the way from her blanket fort. We talk about her goals of completing her degree, staying active and managing pain. Please enjoy The Decade Goals of Petra. Welcome Petra to The Decade Podcast. It's lovely having you. Thank you
1: very much. It's lovely
0: to be here. Thank you for asking me. Absolute pleasure. Are you well?
1: Yeah, really good at the moment. Thank you. How are you doing?
0: do you know what I'm okay it's less hot than it was I can just about just about cope with this I know this is this is an audio podcast but the first thing I'm just going to ask you about is the amazing is it crochet or knitting work
1: yeah it's crochet behind me so the blanket directly behind me is one that I made and that was when I learned to crochet it kind of came in a part by part week by week and I learned how to crochet using that can't see some of the more impressive ones that are over to that side but there's a couple more down there this one in this corner here that was actually made by my daughter and then most of these little creatures were made by me apart from the disc that my daughter oh. made me um because i am obsessed with perry pratchett's discworld. And um, so she made me that for my birthday or christmas one year
0: for the listener who can't see any of this there is again great needlework in the background and there is a crocheted t- it is four elephants stood on a stood four on a on the flying sea turtle, turtle. Mm-hmm.
1: And then on the top of the elephants, there is a flat, um, flat earth disc with continents and sea and ice at the centre, white at the centre for the ice. Um, Yeah, that was all made for me.
0: I mean, we'll definitely have some Discord fans out there and they'll know exactly what that is. It's um, pretty incredible. So the first thing we ask people to do is introduce themselves.
1: Okay, hi, I'm Petra. Um, Yeah, I don't really know how to introduce myself because I don't do it all that often anymore. Since COVID, I'm not out all that much meeting people. So yeah, I mean, I'm a student, a much mature student she says doing air quotation marks as she says it and i do a bit of streaming on twitch now and again crafting streams which is why there's all the blankets and stuff around me because i say that i stream from a blanket fort which is what this is now was an office now it's a blanket fort that contains a computer it's all good yeah and you know i'm i'm a mum of two grown up kids you know i have a tiny dog i don't know what else to say about me really but yeah
0: what are you studying if you don't mind me asking
1: I'm doing environmental studies, yeah, with the Open University, so I'm two-thirds of the way through a degree now.
0: And I know you are half midway through some exams at the moment as well.
1: Um, well, I've finished them now, thankfully, so that i done, so I've now got the, a break until September again, so I'm significantly more relaxed than I would have been had we done this three weeks ago, yeah.
0: <laughs> and um, you're managing that through all of the day-to-day life, plus kids, plus work, all of that sort of stuff.
1: Well, I'm studying full-time rather than working at the moment um, due to various chronic illnesses, which is probably something I should have said when introducing myself. Yeah, so I've got fibromyalgia and chronic pain and also ADHD. So those things in themselves create interesting challenges just being. So yeah, so I juggle those things. So I'm studying to keep myself out of mischief is what I normally say.
0: How did you first hear about the Decade Project?
1: Well, when I got the questions, I thought I'd go and have a look and see what done in it. Because I'd remembered emailing Mark ages ago. And it turns out it was probably two or three days after his original tweet about the Decade project. But then didn't hear anything back, not casting anything on Mark. It's just these things happen. So I didn't hear anything back. I just kind of thought, oh, well, never mind. I'm probably too late to have joined in. I'll leave that. And then I can't remember how I then ended up in the Discord. It might have been via the No More Jockeys discord possibly which i'm kind of sort of in but there's a lot goes on in there so i find it quite difficult to keep track of so it might have been via that that i ended up coming around to it or perhaps talking to people after one of the what's mm. online or but so i can't actually remember how i ended up in the discord but i i really love the the idea of it from when i first saw the tweet about it because i i I definitely do things better with some external accountability. Um, so the idea that I could say to somebody, these are my goals, and then I can say, well, I've got this far, and someone go, that's excellent, brilliant, or, you know, how are you doing with that, really appealed to me because I do find it easier to do things if somebody else is going, how's it going? Not in any kind of pressuring way, but just sort of catching up and seeing how
0: things are. Having that external pressure was what was most, most appealing to you in terms of the project?
1: yes i think it was and also obviously it came at a point after we'd all been in lockdowns and covid and you know it was, i think it was august 21 was it was it about then yeah um and so obviously we'd been through a year and a half of completely bewildering worldwide experiences at that point yeah into a, a point in in history that people will study in years to come and we were living through it and I don't think many of us knew which way was up. And there was obviously a lot of reassessing went in in 2020. A lot of people did it. I know I certainly did and looked at who I was and what I was doing and how I was doing things. And then the idea of I actually no, I can set some goals, which despite me doing that a lot for other things, hadn't occurred to me to do for me personally, was really quite was sort of like hit at the right time. It was exactly what I needed there. And then after i had been kind of thinking about, well, what am I going to do? So the studying I had started before the Decade Project was started, because I started the studying in January, February 21, that sort of time. But then I was sort of getting to the end of my first module when I saw that come up. And I thought, actually, it would be good to have somebody there to go like, how is it getting on? Because this is actually the third time I've attempted to get a degree and I failed both times previously. I now know because I've recently been diagnosed with ADHD that it wasn't just that I couldn't do it it was that I didn't know that I needed the extra support in
0: place. So I mean that's fantastic in terms of actually the fact that you've now made that decision and you are quite a long way through that degree. Did it help that it was strangers as well?
1: Yes actually it did although at that point I'd spent so much time over the previous couple of years talking to strangers online mm. because we all did. We have jumped into Zoom rooms for comedy. We We watched the National Opera online. We chatted to people in conversation rooms that we'd never met before. So I'd done a lot of that. So it kind of just felt like a very natural thing to do. But yeah, it probably is easier that it was people that I didn't know rather than a close family member or a close friend because there's... I don't know, you always feel like you've got to prove something for people that have known all your history and known I've not done it twice before. To so then say, I'm going to try again. Yeah, there's more pressure, I think, somehow.
0: I was thinking that you've almost always got the support and backing from family members is almost a given, you know, or you're you're trying to do something yeah. for them whereas actually it's almost like a bonus that you've got someone else or someone that you don't quite know that's also supporting you in that to sort of strengthen everything that's going on in your immediate life
1: yeah no that that's also true definitely yeah I mean my partner and the kids have been very kind of supportive of me doing it and brilliant and think I really if it's gonna um, make me happy and do what I need to do then absolutely they're behind me and that's what But yeah, to have that extra support from people who don't need to say that because they have no emotional investment in me, yeah, is definitely a huge bonus.
0: I agree with you on the terms of people that don't immediately have that emotional investment in you. I would say from my own personal experiences, my emotional investment in people that are in decade has dramatically increased over the last couple of years so it starts as something like oh these are great people you just want to support them but over that period of time you're thinking i really want to support them i i I know these people now and they have become almost like family close friends over that time period
1: i think because i actually joined the discord a bit later than than it started i think i've never quite felt like i was actually part of a group in there so yeah I put things in on the discord and people will then support me but I don't really have relationships with anybody in the discord as such now obviously I came to the group chat um, more recently and that kind of put faces to some of the names and you know so I chatted to you I chatted to other people there and and that was really helpful for me to feel a bit more like yeah these aren't just words on the screen these are actual people behind these and I know that sounds like a dad thing, but yeah, it's that kind of, yeah, no, actually these are people and, you know, we have things in common, even though it might not appear that way. And
0: uh, No, I think that's so true because you sort of feel like the initial things is uh, these are just words on a page. you are obviously speaking to some sort of AI and then you see them you see them in a Zoom room and go, oh, that's, that's someone and I can equate those words. And then there's another step when you actually bump into these people in real life <laughs> and go, oh, you are actually a real human being. <laughs> That I can interact with, which I think is those kind of new ways of developing relationships in a modern world. I think.
1: Definitely. Most of the people that I currently, post pandemic, count as good friends are people that I didn't know in real life four years ago, which, when I think about it, is very odd. Especially, I mean, I'm in my late 40s. So when I was growing up, what I like to say is I was born in an analog world and now I'm having to do everything in digital. And so my childhood did not prepare me for this sort of environment. It wasn't related, really. I didn't have a computer or access to the internet until I was an adult myself. Yeah, that kind of meeting people online is, there's always a bit of worry in the back of my head because we were always told, you, you know, you've got to be careful, you've got to be careful, don't go meeting people online, you won't make sure people know where you are. And all that is good advice, but it does make you very scared. And so the idea of sort of meeting up with people that I only know from online has got less scary, funnily enough, as time's gone on and I've got more used to it. And I kind of, everyone knows the deal. And so you make sure people know where you're going if you go on your own or you go with somebody else that you do know. It's, it's an odd thing, but it's, it's really, there's this idea that you've got in real life and online friends, whereas actually online is real life. It's just not necessarily in 3D there and then. I think there's a, a false distinction there that isn't actually real.
0: I, no, I think that's fair, and you know, even I'm guilty of talking about it in that sense yeah. that you talk about in real life versus online, and, and like I say, that's that's a false picture, and I think some of that comes from, as you described that, our generations growing up, that kind of stranger danger online type yeah. of thing, and if you had said to someone, even sort of 20 years ago, I'm going to be meeting someone I've been speaking to online, <laughs> your parents would probably call the police.
1: Yeah, absolutely. How do you know who you're meeting? How do you know who they are, who they say they are? Do you have any idea where they're from? You know, do you know what do you know about them? And but when you think about it, that's no different to meeting someone in a nightclub. It's yeah. no different at all. Which was how people generally, I mean, that's how my, I met my partner. It's no different because I didn't know anything about him when I met him. And,
0: and in and in many ways, if it's conducted in a public forum, it's actually a, feels a lot safer.
1: Yeah, because if you are chatting to somebody that's known as, as a wrong as it were, somebody generally will sort of sidle over in your, in your DMs and go, just be careful.
0: Yeah.
1: So there's always that kind of lookout, I think, in online communities. So there isn't necessarily somewhere like a pub or a nightclub or, or whatever.
0: What were your original decade goals?
1: I did mention the studying. So there was that. So I want to get my degree and possibly go to, go on and do further study. I'm looking more at further study now than I was when I first started because I am really enjoying it most of the time up until the point I've got something due in. And then for that week, I don't like it much at all. But the rest of the time, it's great. I love the learning stuff. I hate having to produce something that's going to be judged by someone else, which is perfectly reasonable and sane, I feel. So, yeah, there's that get my degree finally Um, like I say I've tried twice before and haven't managed to do it for various reasons but a lot of them are the ADHD thing that I didn't know about and then my other decade goal is to do with my health because as I said right at the beginning I have also as well as the ADHD I have fibromyalgia and chronic pain which means that a lot of the time I am stuck in the house so I can't get out and do things I can't I'm just in too much pain to get out and about and do stuff. And people don't realise it when they look at me, when they talk to me, because I've got very good at doing things despite the pain. That's fine because my choices are do things without the pain or don't do things with the pain. And so I'd rather do the things because I'm going to hurt anyway. And so I'm starting to try and get more active. And I think when we chatted in the... Discord Zoom call thing. I just had COVID and so I was really quite struggling to get back on my feet again because it took me about a month to get over COVID all in all. I'm still not quite right. I'm still not as active as I was six months ago, but I've got better a lot more quickly than I thought I was going to because I literally went from the weekend before I had COVID, I was in London, I was walking around London, getting around doing stuff and was doing probably 10 to 15,000 steps that weekend each day. Now that was a lot for me generally, but I could do it. My step count in May, I think the average per day was 820 something. So now I'm up to about one and a half thousand again. So I've got a lot better and I'm getting a lot better and I'm doing it more quickly than I thought I would. So now I can walk into town because I can walk into town which is only a mile up the road. And then I can stop in a coffee shop and I can rest before I get on and do things. And then I could do things and then I can rest again and then I can walk home. Whereas when I made these goals of wanting to be more active, what I was thinking was I'll join the gym. I'm going to start doing a bit of weights because the cardio stuff wears me out a lot more. So if I do too much of that, I'll be wiped out for the week because the fibro just flares and that's that. Just before I got COVID, I had got to the point that I had joined a gym, which was infuriating when I was sat at home and couldn't do anything. But I have been a couple of times and done a little bit of weights with the idea that if my muscles are stronger, it's going to be easier for me to get around. So yeah, so I am working on it despite the setbacks. So things aren't going as well as I wanted them to, but they're going as well as they can considering the circumstances and that I'm pleased with.
0: I mean, I think it's, it's about kind of doing what's right for you in, in any given scenario. Does the step count work as a bit of a mini goal achievement for you day to day? or Is it a good measure of how you're feeling or how your body is at any particular time? It tends to be, yes, because I know if I'm not doing so well and I'm resting
1: more, I'm not doing as many steps. Mm. It's as simple as that. So it's a very basic measure. It's a very crude measure, but it is a general indication. You can see when I've been well and when I've not been well when you look back at the graph of my mm. steps over the last few years.
0: And do you use that as positive reinforcement for, you know, actually I've got to break out and that's making me feel better about myself? Or do you then worry as a result of I've done too much and the impact upon you later on?
1: A bit of both. So, yeah, I do tend to, if I'm if I'm doing well, if I'm feeling good, and I'm on a good run then it tends to be very encouraging but if I know that I'm not well but then I've pushed myself it can be a source of worry so it just depends on on me and how I'm feeling at the time and it's easier to feel positive when things are going well just in anything it's easier to feel positive in a lot of ways I'm quite lucky because I'm involved with a group called flipping pain who do pain education because pain is not what most people think it is pain does not exist in the place where that hurts that's a different thing the pain is made once the brain gets the signals. So it's a very, very different kind of relationship between your body. And when, when you kind of learn a bit about the science behind it, you kind of know that, yeah, this is hurting, but there's not actually anything wrong with me because pain is a, the pain in my body is like a... They describe it as being like an overactive alarm system. If you buy a new car, you park it outside and the alarms are far too sensitive and then someone walks past and it goes off. And then you rush out to see what the problem is. And then, you, oh, there's no problem, there's no problem. And then that happens two or three times. You then have to turn the sensitivity down and then it's, it's okay because it will only, but if you turn it down too far, somebody can break in and it won't go off. So pain is your body's alarm system. It thinks something's going wrong. And what happens when you've got chronic pain is that the alarm system becomes oversensitive. And because it's become oversensitive, it goes off when it doesn't need to. And so you're constantly in pain.
0: And I mean, a fabulous analogy That is that how you see your management of the pain?
1: Yes and no. I go, yeah, it's bizarre trying to think how I actually, because I've been doing it for so long now that when I try and think about what I'm doing, it's difficult to break it down because it's just part of life now, just... I automatically will, if we're going on a drive, I will look up where the service stations are so I can plan when we get a rest stop. And I just do that without thinking about it. Yeah, I tend to manage my pain just thinking about, yeah, it is. I know that the alarm system's going off for no reason. So the chronic pain that I've got is in my hip, which I got when I did a marathon walk. I did a 26 mile walk for charity and hadn't trained for it properly, but I ended up with a bursitis in both my hips. The inflammation went down in both sides, the pain left in the left-hand side, but I still have pain in my right-hand side and that was 11 years ago. So I just always have pain in my right hip, but there's nothing wrong with it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I just have to get on and do it because if I stopped every time I was in pain, I would literally never do anything. But there are days when it is too much, and when it's too much, that's when I can't do the things, and I do have to rest, and I have to work on just making sure that I'm OK. And a lot of it is about resetting my brain mentally to be able to deal with it. And actually, the less I concentrate on the pain, the easier it is. So if I go and do something else, then I'm going to be a lot better for it because I'll be concentrating on the thing that I'm doing and not sitting there thinking, "Crap, this really hurts. It's really, really hurts. So, yeah. So it's a lot about having that the mindset of I can deal with this and I can I can do it.
0: Do you have an ultimate aim in terms of what being active means to you? Or as we discussed earlier on, is it more about being in the moment, being what's comfortable with you at any particular time?
1: Mostly on a day-to-day basis, it's about doing things that I can manage on a day-to-day basis and planning things that I'm still moving and I'm incorporating that into every day. But a lot of it is about functionality so being able to do the things that I maybe sometimes don't do because of the pain, even though I know I can, but it hurts and it's difficult to do things when you hurt. It's exhausting is what it is. Yeah, so but so a lot of it is about kind of dealing with things, but it's yeah, also about the functionality and being able to do things more easily and making sure my body is as healthy as it can be so that I have less problems with with those things. But also there's a bit of me that would like to be able to do, do more stuff. I'd like to be able to go for a walk on the North York Moors, which are only down the road from where I live, to be able to go and walk up on the beach down the coast and walk on the sand for more than five minutes. There are these things that are beautiful and lovely and help my mental health mm. that I would love to be able to do but can't when I'm, I'm really sore. There's no specific I want to be able to do this many steps or I want to have lost this much weight or I want to do in a 5k or what. There's none of that kind of specific. It's more about keeping moving on an everyday basis. So this will go on after the decade project is finished. It will keep going. It will be going ongoing as long as I live. It's more about that keeping going and trying to be slightly more active today than I was yesterday if I can manage that.
0: I suppose by not having that thing, which is I want to go and walk on the beach or walk on the moors, you don't ultimately get disappointed when you can't do that. And actually then you're more content with being being active to the best of your possible abilities. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. And if the best of my, best of my capabilities is that we drive out to the moors and I sit on a bench, then I've got closer than I did yesterday. Mm. And though that seems almost, I think... A few years ago I'd have have found doing things like that very disappointing because I wasn't doing the full thing and it should be everything or it's nothing, whereas actually I've learnt that it's it's great to just do a little bit of something, you don't have to do all of it. You don't have to climb the mountain to the top, you can climb up a little way and still get a beautiful view. You can sit on the the bench at the edge of the beach and still enjoy the waves, you don't have to have walked along the sand to have enjoyed the, the beach.
0: I was going to ask you, if you don't mind talking about it, are you able to talk a little bit about your um, fibromyalgia? Yeah,
1: absolutely not a problem. Um, Yeah, I think my fibromyalgia is not as severe as a lot of other people's. Though I do have large downs and plenty of ups and all the rest of it, most of the time I can at least get around my house. And I know there are people that can't, that are stuck in bed, Um, and that's that's what they can do they can so it affects different people in different ways part of this is because they're still not entirely sure exactly what fibro is it could very well be that two people who have been told they have fibro actually have slightly different things and it's affecting their body in slightly different ways but we don't know what those things are yet because there hasn't been enough sort of research into to all that because so often Because there's nothing obviously wrong and because nothing comes up on tests and all this sort of thing. And there isn't yet a test for it, although I believe there are things coming through that might give us tests for it. It's often seen as it's all in your head. You're making it up. It's not real. And there's all of that kind of side of things. That's really frustrating because you spend a long time not being believed. But it is there. We know it's there. And so there's that whole kind of... And and if you don't have a GP that believes that it's a thing, then you'll get no... No help whatsoever. Now I'm able to manage my because of my experiences with the chronic pain as well. I manage my fibro without any medication as well, um, which is unusual. Most people do have some form of medication. The reason that I don't have medication is because I am very susceptible to medication. People are amazed at the tiny amounts of things I take and then it zombifies me for you know all day. So I had young kids at the time when they first started trying me with these meds and it wasn't safe for me or them. So I decided that I had to learn to deal with it without the medication, essentially, because I didn't really have a choice. So yeah, so for me, the way that it tends to affect me is that my feet start to feel like they're on fire, like inside is really hot, and that kind of can spread throughout my body if it's really bad, so it feels like I'm on fire. But as well as that, everything is really tender, so if I bump my arm, it feels like there ought to be a bruise, a really big bruise. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody just touches you, it feels like somebody's thumped you. If I brush against the wall, it feels like somebody's scraped down your arm because every nerve ending feels everything intensely. Yeah, it's a very intrusive, intensive experience because so much is happening. And when it's kind of like that, when you know that if you get up and walk around, if somebody brushes against you in town, it's going to make you feel like you've been knocked to the floor to not want to go into town because you don't want to have to deal with that in public because it hurts and it's difficult and it looks like there's nothing wrong with you that's really difficult but also when you're feeling like that just the sheer act of walking is painful because your feet are touching the floor and you're feeling that every step and because you're in pain you're tense because everything because you're always worried about what's going to hurt next and because you're so tense, you get so tired and so exhausted and you don't sleep properly, so then you're more tired and then your brain doesn't work properly because you're not sleeping. And then, and it's a knock-on, kind of a knock-on effect. And so in those times when there's a flare-up of it, it's really difficult, really, really tough. And I end up, I get stuck upstairs in my house because I can't get back up the stairs again because it feels like somebody's turned the gravity up to 20. You know, it's just, you know, so I'm fighting myself just, you know, there have been times when I've had to crawl and physically haul myself up the stairs because I can't, I can't just walk up the stairs and the stairs look like a mountain. On my worst days, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. On my good days, I look fine. I appear normal. People don't realise most of the time what I go through on my bad days. Ridiculously, because people don't see you on your bad days, they don't realise how serious it is. And so when you say you're having a bad day, they think you're a little bit sore don't understand because they've never seen it but you don't want people to see it because they'd be horrified especially people that care for you
0: but the reason i asked was that awareness bit of it and actually i'd not really heard of it until recently you know incredible hearing you talk about it in the way you have done and i i think even you can see where that dismissiveness comes from if you can't you know it's the same with any sort of condition if you can't if someone's got a broken arm, you can see that they've got a broken arm. If there's something that's not visible, whether that's mental health or physical health, it almost doesn't carry the same weight if you can't see it. So you, you don't engage with it and you, you end up dismissing it, even unconsciously.
1: Absolutely. And people do, without realising they're doing it in a lot of ways. They're like, oh, don't you can just do this, it'll be fine. Well, no, actually it won't. If I go and do that, I then won't be able to do anything else for a week and a half. So, yes, I probably can do that, but it isn't worth me doing that because I've got three other things that I want to do. And if I don't do that, I can do those things, which is where you get this. If you heard people talk about the spoon theory, the idea is it. I can't remember who it was that sort of spoke about this first, but that apparently whoever it was was in a cafe with a friend and she was trying to explain why she couldn't do things all of the time. Um, and there was like a pot of teaspoons on the table and she picked them up and said okay imagine this is your energy for the day you've got 12 teaspoons so getting dressed will cost you a teaspoon climbing the stairs might cost you a teaspoon having a shower that's going to cost you three because you've got to stand up for a long period of time on a bad day it might be four what are you going to spend 12 spoons on by the time you've got up dressed and had breakfast you've used eight of them you know, you can borrow them from tomorrow, but at some point you've got no spoons tomorrow to borrow. And at that point you've had it and you've got to rest. You can't not. And so people look at you and they think you're fine, but they don't realise that, you know, you've only got two spoons left and you can't keep going because if you do, you'll pay for it. But they don't see the payback. They only see you there looking fine and they don't understand why you can't. Essentially, with the fibro, the thing that I would want people to take away is just believe the person that you're talking to. If they tell you they can't, it's not that they don't want to. They probably really do want to do the thing. They just know they can't. It's no reflection on what they think of you. It's no reflection on their relationship with you. It's that they genuinely can't do it. So it's just please believe people when they tell you, even if they don't appear to be you know, having any difficulties. They know they will be. So, yeah, it's just about being, believing people and being kind, basically.
0: Have your decade goals changed over time?
1: They haven't, actually, no. Although... It's led to me thinking, because i have managing to do things and keeping going and doing the stuff, I have done things like got my ADHD diagnosis whilst being in the decades um, group. Not directly, nobody said anything directly to make me want to do that, but it's just that idea of, well, if I'm accomplishing this, then maybe I can do that as well. That's really helped. So I've gone and I've got this, this ADHD diagnosis, which, like I say, has been interesting kind of mind-blowing type kind of when you look back at your life and you're suddenly going that makes sense now And oh that's what that was that wasn't just you know uh, it's not just that I'm a bit shit it's that actually that was that was my health that was that was my brain and the way it was wired it wasn't that I was rubbish you know and kind of looking back and realizing that yeah that four-year-old that was always being told to sit down and be quiet and sit still couldn't it wasn't that I didn't want to is that I couldn't so even going about that far and you know when I look back at various things it's just like that makes so much sense now it really makes so much more sense um, and it's been a huge weight off and a huge relief actually but yeah so that's an extra thing that I've done because of the support of the decade project mm-hmm. but not directly because of the decade project if that makes yeah. sense
0: Is there anything you need help or advice on in achieving your decade goals?
1: I don't know. I think because, no, I don't think I do really at the moment. I mean, there will be things that I will need help with, but it's difficult to tell you what they are because so many things have changed this last year, really. Not... I mean, we were just talking about the ADHD stuff. That's made everything completely different. And I do wonder whether at some point I need to talk to somebody in academia with ADHD if I'm going to go down this route and carry on with that. And that might be something really useful. Because obviously when people tell you, yeah, all of the kind of workshops on how to write essays and all this sort of thing are not made for a neurodiverse brain. They don't work. The way that people say you should do things don't just doesn't work if I try and do it that way learning kind of ADHD working patterns can be very different to it. Uh, so it's, it's kind of maybe I'm going to need to speak to somebody that actually has idea about ADHD and studying because it's different. Mm. Most things aren't set up that way.
0: I, I was going to say, is it almost like rewiring your brain? But it's not rewiring your brain. It's rewiring your learning a completely new approach to something that we weren't, the way we were taught at school growing up. It's doing it in a completely different way from that.
1: Yeah, no, actually, it's kind of learning new processes that work for your brain, that work for you. And what I'm finding is that things work for me for about a month. And then I have to find a new lot of things that work for me. And I often get this drop off of a couple of weeks where I'm finding new things. And then I've got a month. where oh, this is working now. This is always going to work. This is brilliant. I'm never going to give this one up. This is brilliant. This is... And then a month later, I'm not using whatever it was. And I don't remember stopping using it. I'm just no longer using it. And I've got to find a new lot of things because when I try and do the last thing, it just doesn't have the same effect anymore. So I think a lot of it is gonna be finding a toolkit of things that I can draw on. And every time every time I kind of lose my way with one, I can pull the next one out of the toolbox and go, right, we're gonna go back to this one and try this one again and see if that one works. I don't know. But yeah, so talking to somebody that would be, has got experience of academia with ADHD, I think is going to be a really helpful thing at some stage. As far as the chronic pain and, and fibro stuff goes, you know, obviously we're doing the flipping pain stuff because there's a lot of sort of world experts involved in that sort of thing in that group as well. I have access to people that I can say, should I be doing this differently? So I've kind of got that there. But yeah, the academia thing's a bit new for me. It's kind of knowing, knowing who to talk to, really, is what it is. So I can just go, what do you do? And they go, have you tried this? I give that a go. Having someone to bounce off and, and say, that. so eventually maybe that would be something that would be useful. But I think whilst I'm sort of getting my degree, I think that's, that's OK because with the OU, it's kind of the step-by-step Then It shows you what you need to do next, whereas once I go on from there, it might not be with the OU. It might be with a more traditional university, and then there's a whole new set of things, to processes uh-huh. to learn
0: again. Thank you, Petra, for joining me on the Decade Podcast. It's been an absolute delight talking to you. Yeah, thank you very much for for having me here. It's been
1: been such good fun. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: One of my favourite episodes so far. Absolutely incredible listening to Petra talk. She's not on Twitter, which I think, given the current climate, is the most sensible course of action. So head over to the Decade Discord to say hi, or check out her Twitch stream, the link I've put in the chat. Next week is episode seven can it really get any better? Well, I actually know, but the rest of you will have to listen to find out. In the meantime, you're all solid gold legends.